Welcome back to Digital Fluency, the only podcast where you are guaranteed to get smarter about the digital world or your money back. Digital Fluency is a special podcast series from the good folks at the Studio for Teaching and Learning Innovation at the College of William and Mary. I'm your proudly pessimistic, sometimes cynical, and always charming host, Adam Barger, and I'm the instructor for the William and Mary course entitled Digital Fluency Footprints and Philosophies, which provides the content for this series. Uh, joined by a few folks here, I'm joined by student producer extraordinaire, Jacob Hall. Jacob, how are you? I'm doing so well today. How about you, Adam? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, really well, in fact. Uh, I feel that I am super confident about today's episode because I know everything about the topic. You know everything about the topic? I know everything about the, the topic, uh, and I'm willing to share that with people um, if I can just have the next 30 minutes all to myself to share it. How do you know that you know everything about this topic? Well, I Googled it. Oh. Do you agree? <laughs> I'm not so sure you know everything about this topic. Maybe we could bring someone in to tell us. I don't think we need anyone to come in. I think I got this down. I Googled for at least 20 minutes. I found lots of people that agree with me. I'm ready to go. Well, Adam, what even is this topic? The topic is intellectual humility, and I got it going on. <laughs> How could you possibly know that you know everything of, there is to know about intellectual humility? Well, it's pretty simple. I, uh, in, in my Googling, I typed some phrases that I thought were right, and I found similar phrases that were the same. <laughs> so other people on the interwebs agree that I got it going on. And so I can be confident, maybe even overconfident, about this topic. But you know, uh, if you insist, we, we might want to bring someone else in if you think that's important. <laughs> Adam, what is intellectual humility? You know, intellectual humility is a topic of research uh, that I will admit we need some help on. Uh, so we do have a special guest today and I'll be excited to introduce him to the millions of Digital Fluency listeners, uh, Mr. Johan Ducharme. He's with us today. Hi there, Johan. How you doing? I am well. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for being here. Uh, Johan is a PhD candidate at the William and Mary School of Education, uh, studying intellectual humility, but specifically how that intersects with the learning space uh, in higher education. And uh, Johan, I thought I'd tell you a little bit about what we covered this week, and you were there for part of it, um, and then get into your topic a bit. How does that sound? That sounds great. Yeah, I, I obviously don't want to assume that I know everything about what was covered. Yeah, yeah, you don't you don't want to assume that. That would not be very humble of you. But you know, it's hard to be humble when you're so great. My wife tells me that all the time. Um, anyway, so we've had three classes, and uh, Johan, you were the guest in our second class. That's right. Uh, and this course is asking one big question. How can you make the digital world work for you and not against you? And so we are kind of presupposing that if you are not actively engaged in being fluent uh, or, or uh, making the digital world work for you, it will work against you. And so that is a, a presupposition that we have. And the first thing we did is we established our place in the digital world. And uh, we did this by looking at a digital evolution timeline. And we noticed that in the last 10 years, it's been significant growth 
uh, into what we call Web 2.0 and Web 3.0. So the web is becoming much more personal. We're able to be very active and produce content. Anybody can put content up, uh, which could be good and bad. And as we head into Web 3.0, it's this idea that the web is now predictive and it lives everywhere. It's, a, it's on our coffee makers and on our watches and in our fridges. And uh, we use predictive analytics to let us know where you know we're driving when you hop in the car and it says, hey, you going to Starbucks or whatever. Um, so Web 3.0 is showing us that our lives are intertwined. And, and another thing that we covered uh, was this idea that our attention and our access to information has been affected by uh, the digital world. Some folks say it's in a negative way. It's harder to read longer books. It's harder to pay attention. It's harder to uh, follow long trains of thought because we're in this instant uh, world and access to information. Uh, but along with that, we really emphasize this idea that just because you have access to a lot of information doesn't mean you're smart. and It doesn't mean that you're fluent, uh, yet we sometimes feel that we know a lot about a topic because of where we live uh, on the web. And so the idea here is pretty important, I think, for digital fluency. And that is, if you are going to navigate the digital world, you have to be humble and you have to be curious, and you can't assume you know it all, like I was trying to assume a bit earlier. So that's uh, kind of where we ended the week. Uh, we spent a little bit of time looking at specific applications in Web 3.0 and how it intersects with us. We did a one-day inventory where we looked at where we intersect with the digital world just in the three hours before class, and we all had lists of 9, 10, 11, 12 interactions. Uh, and so we are firmly in place in the digital world so how can we be humble about that? How can we stay curious uh, in a healthy way? And that's where you came in. So we'd love to get your perspective. Yeah, Adam, honestly, what you just described really was one of the primary reasons why I got into this subject of intellectual humility, because I kept thinking about the rise of misinformation, the rise of dis disinformation campaigns, you know, and, the, and what we know of our society becoming more and more polarized, my my question was, how can we stem these tides? Um, and what are the virtues that we need as a society to um, cultivate, to own, to be aware of? Um, and intellectual humility um, is one of those virtues um, that has been uh, you know, uh, researched and um, encouraged uh, in the last five years, honestly, um, the, the amount of research has exponentially increased. So um, I'm right, right in line with what you're sharing about the course and its overarching question. So what, what drew you to this topic? Because when I first came uh, to this topic, I said, wow, we could, we could plug this in anywhere. It's truly an inter interdisciplinary idea. Uh, and especially in the university, you have a lot of very confident uh, folks and you have students like Jacob who are accomplished and very and very smart. And they're in what are you in, Jacob? Bio biochemistry. What was that class? Organic chemistry like that's man, that's that takes some serious brain power. Um, and so we live in a very intellectual kind of space. Right. So that's that's why I was interested in it. But what kind of brought you to it? 
Yeah, so um, I guess I guess the idea of humility first is the one that initially got me into this conversation, um, and especially as it relates to my dissertation and why I chose to study this. Um, intellectual humility is a subdomain of humility, and I think that that's an important point to put out there first. Um, and I would say the research and philosophers and psychologists um, have been in a very large debate about whether or not humility is a virtue at all and whether it's compatible. Are those two ideas compatible? Because I, and, and this is where it gets interesting as far as ancient literature, modern literature. Um, the notion of humility is, has a pretty checkered history. Um, most definitions of humility are Ill, ill-suited to consider it squarely a virtue worth wanting. As you think about religious humility or this idea of self-loathing or self-abasement or a low regard for one's self-worth. Um, or, if, or if you're more philosophically inclined and you want to understand a little bit more of humility from a philosophy standpoint – you know, having a, a distorted or paradoxical or irrational view of your relationship to your accomplishments and how you understand when you've accomplished something and how to whether or not that it is humble to uh, to own those accomplishments, really. So this is the problematic version of the of humility as a virtue that many philosophers and psychologists have tried to overcome. Um, and so I just want to start out by saying that I, I reject, I think it's important to reject a, di- a dictionary version of humility, which is kind of this idea that you're thinking lowly of yourself um, and that's all that matters as it relates to being humble. Um, and so I want to start out with a more accurate or a more virtuous definition of humility itself and start there. Um, and so, um, what, uh, some, a few researchers have, uh, put forward is that humility itself is a very complex idea, um, but that it can be distilled into two, I, two things. One, having a low self-focus, not a lowly version, no lowly perspective of yourself, but a low self-focus and a high other focus. Um, and that those two, um, done in tandem, in perfect tension with each other, is uh, demonstrating humility. But Johan, I, I, I have a question there. Sorry to interrupt you. Um, I understand that we're not talking about being a pushover or a doormat, you know, uh, for being humble. But, you know, hey, I, I, I worked hard in school and I got a bunch of degrees and you know, I read lots of research studies and I, I want to be confident in my knowledge. What's wrong with that? Yeah, there's honestly nothing wrong with it except for the fact of whether or not you have what I would call intellectual empathy to balance it. So if we were to talk about what you were just saying in that you have a strong intellectual confidence, um, it, that needs to be buoyed and balanced by another ability, which I have been researching, and, and that is intellectual empathy, having the ability to be placing yourself in another's shoes intellectually um, and to to be able to take a counterpoint 
and understand it as well as the person who owns that position. So this is where intellectual humility is important because I, I, as I'm researching it and as I'm coming to a theory of this in, in education, intellectual humility is a perfect tension of both intellectual confidence as well as their, as well as intellectual empathy. Um, and we can get into a little bit more of that, um, because that is, I, I perceive those uh, confidence and empathy to be both trainable. This is not something that is static. So this makes good sense so far, Johan. I am uh, humbly and confidently following you. But if you had to give us a kind of a nutshell definition based on your work, what would you say? Yeah. So intellectual humility um, is an awareness and an ownership of one's intellectual limitations. That is the current um, that's part of the current definition um, from uh, psychologists and philosophers. Um, the way that I am tweaking it a little bit is by uh, including this idea that intellectual humility is an awareness. Um, many individuals will say, okay, you just are owning your intellectual limitations, but I think it's important to start from the posture of being aware of what you don't know. Um, and so that's that's where I'm. That's where I'm putting in um, my own uh, uh, fingerprint on this. Um, and that. And then the second thing that I'm putting on this is that intellectual humility is something that's trainable. Um, people are trying to understand. Psychologists are trying to understand: is this something that's static, or is it malleable? And if so, how do you train for it? Um, and that's something that my research um, right now is is starting to uncover. Um, so, um, for instance, that makes good sense. yeah, for instance, most studies, uh, look at intellectual humility from a scale, like as a scale or a measurement to, to be made where people either, uh, self-report on their own intellectual humility. And there's some clunkiness therein, um, where, you know, how much can one person, um, uh, uh, how much of self-aggrandizement uh, could potentially skew data on one's uh, ability to say I am humble or not? That is a very big piece of the puzzle that is defining what humility is and intellectual humility being a subdomain. That's the same piece. So I think a, a basic question that needs to be asked by an individual who's interested in this is, um, what is an appropriate response to my limitations? Um, you know, uh, if we, if we, Adam, if you and I are in agreement that limitations are something that is, a, that is important in this conversation of, of digital fluency, right? And how we approach the internet, then this idea of how we, how we respond to our limitations is very important. And I've, I've kind of outlined three ways that I think are important for an individual to respond to a limitation. So let me, let me, let me walk you through that. Yes, please um, do. The, the first, the first is this awareness that you need, that an individual has to be aware that it exists. Um, you know, it, it cannot be, con you know, someone else could say it's a limitation that you have but unless the individual is aware and then owns that limitation, right? Fall, it's immediately followed up by an ownership uh, that the limitation exists and that it can be changed. Um, if an individual does not see his or her limitation as one that is 
changeable. That is that if they see that this limitation is fixed, that's the end of the story. That's that's the end of the conversation. Um, and so this 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 ownership and awareness um, is a very important dynamic as far as how you how this conversation would begin as far as a, an appropriate response to one's limitations. Um, the second important piece is to have an appropriate discomfort um, and that this discomfort should not be too great or too little. Um, and um, we're going to get into an example that I, um, I want to share on this and, and we could, that we can tease this out. So just to, for time's sake, to get to the third piece is that an individual has to have an open mindset to move beyond that limitation. And that what that means is, is that they see that that limitation is temporary and can be, um, can be overcome. So those are the three things that I think are an important response that, that someone should have to their limitations. Um, what I find and, really interesting about that is this, uh, and there's probably related research on kind of growth mindset and mm-hmm, um, you know mm-hmm. willingness to grow. But one of the summary points that I made with the students was just the simple phrase, you might be wrong. <laughs> you might be wrong. And I recognize from your summary that it goes beyond that to uh, yeah. also having curiosity and being willing, yes. being willing to uh, to seek out uh, truth uh, or seek out new right. knowledge. But right. starting with this idea that you might be wrong is actually yep. pretty radical in the digital world because mm. anybody can Google anything. Right. Um, and right. I, should, I should quit. I should quit picking on Google. They can bing anything. So for the, for the four <laughs> For the four people out there that use Bing, uh, you can be happy now. Yes, um, yes. You can, Plant some trees. Yeah, you can. You can do. You can find. Um, you can find whatever you're looking for. Um, is an oversimplified way of, of the digital world because uh, not only are there echo chambers that are formed through things like social media and your, uh, how you do your searches and um, the folks you interact with. Um, yeah. That's a separate topic that we'll get into uh, down the road. Um, but it's this idea that you can find evidence for just about anything. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we have this over-reliance on data. And my colleagues mm-hmm. in the natural sciences won't like this, but this idea that scientific data or empirical data uh, is the end-all, be-all of knowledge mm-hmm. is not a healthy perspective from, mm-hmm. from, from my perspective. And so the idea that you might be wrong, um, even if you have some good reasons to think you're right, I think it's mm. still healthy. And that's mm. because of the amount of information we have to surf kind of in, in the digital age. That, so that was one example, but I do want to hear what, what example you yeah. have as well. No, I think I, you're, you're right on. And, and how we, how individuals critique and analyze and make sense of that data that they're either reading and the authorship of, like who's writing the, the 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 argument that's that they're reading? All those things matter, and this is where I think an awareness is so important. Um, and to start from a place of how 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 actively are you listening to the people that are are trying to communicate uh, uh, something to you? So I think one of the most prominent examples that faculty who I interviewed for my dissertation. Um, taught us talked about as far as um, an appropriate response to a limitation was that many many professors discussed 
with me that students who are solely grade focused um, have an, a limitation to their ability to learn. So an individual who says, I have to get an A, um, you know, professors seek to say that, seek to make that orientation as something that's a flawed state of mind, if you will, that that idea that I've got to get my A, that's all that matters to me. Um, and maybe it's not all that matters, but it's the primary thing that matters to me. Um, faculty find themselves in a place in education, obviously, where they want to make students aware of the fact and present and present an alternative to how students define success. And that um, this idea of defining success by your grade versus defining success by how much you learned is 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 the alternative state of mind that they're looking for. So here here's the three right within that idea. Um, students have to own that their previous state of mind. I've got to get an A. They need to own that as a limitation, as something that is a flawed state of mind. Um, if you will. Um, and that's not, that's not an easy thing to do out, outright. I will own that any faculty member who's trying to help a student see that just getting an A is not actually an appropriate um, response to a class that they're in the midst of. Give it, maybe Jacob, give it organic chemistry, right? I'm sure there's a lot of pressure from a lot of people that they just, they want to get that A. Um, you know, uh, the second piece, right, is that students have to have a uh, an appropriate discomfort in order to switch their mindset that, you know what, I should define success differently. I should define success as how much I learned. Um, and that switching that mindset is, is really important vis-a-vis -vis a discomfort. And that, that discomfort should not be too great where they're paralyzed, they're, they're fearful, they don't, they, you know, individuals panic or they, they have too much stress, if you will. Um, but that the discomfort and it shouldn't be too little where they're either apathetic or they don't, they, don't, they maybe don't see that their, their mindset should change. Um, and then, and lastly, to move on is that students who exhibit intellectual humility when they have made the change are, are individuals when they've made the change and define success outside of getting an A and that they've made the change that the faculty member is proposing in, in the sense of defining their success by how much they've learned. That makes good sense. So uh, I want to kind of bring this down to a few practical applications. And Let's do it. Uh, for, for the listening audience, we've prepared for this zero. So, so the <laughs> nuggets that you're about to get are live. But before we do that, I just wanted to uh, go to our resident student, uh, producer extraordinaire, Jacob Hall, since he's the one in the room with us. And Jacob, is any of this uh, hitting for you? Is this landing as a student, as a learner? Definitely so. I've had so many conversations in just the last few weeks with a lot of my friends, you know, gearing up for the semester, thinking to ourselves, how, like, what do we want to get out of these classes? Because especially with different modalities in these classes and, you know, they're structured much differently. We don't have a lot of the same like interactions with our professors. Like our goals should probably be to get as much information out of these classes as we can, rather than necessarily getting the perfect grades that we might want to get. Um, so in that sense, I can definitely relate to, to what you're saying, Johan. And I think it's a really important thing for students to like figure out what that goal is. And it can be frustrating as a student to feel like in college, I'm figuring out what my goals are 
and yet I need to have those goals sort of in place to, to learn the best that I can, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes great sense. Yeah, Jacob, you used the word frustrating, which I locked right onto because this is where it's getting to that healthy, appropriate discomfort, right? Um, and that, that is a very, that is a, that is a very difficult thing to accomplish where you don't, you want, you want to have, uh, um, it, it shouldn't be so frustrating that you just give up, right? But it should be, it should be a struggle in some ways. And this is where I think faculty, to make it practical, this is where faculty play a huge role to, to encourage and cheer and, and, and actually help students struggle through that discomfort. Yep. Uh, and I think that the grade system, this is another conversation, is part of the issue there probably. And so we're seeing perhaps more openness on student side uh, to go beyond the grade because of some of the pass-fail policies related to COVID. And True. so that'd be an interesting rabbit trail. So so let, let's, I, I really like doing things in three. So let's see if we can come up with three takeaways, yep. Johan. And again, yep. this is on the fly. And I'll do the first one to give you a few seconds to brainstorm here. So here's one that I got from our conversation here and in class, and that is to have appropriate intellectual humility in the digital age, you should seek out all aspects of learning, not just the graded aspects. Seek mm. out all aspects of learning. So you can leverage the interwebs and the Google and the Bing to go beyond perhaps what is uh, required and mm. broaden your horizon. Mm. So, so seek out all mm. aspects of learning. How's that for number one? Love it. Yeah, no, love it. I think that this is definitely the piece where seeing one's limitations as temporary and a temporary state of being so that you become more curious and open-minded to find what's out there and to, to challenge what you're finding to, to understand it to be reputable, um, well-argued and, um, you know, evidence-based. Absolutely. Yeah. Adam, I'm on board. Snaps. Um, <clears throat> I'll throw this out there that I think there is a fear that individuals could have on admitting that they have a limitation, right? <laughs> and that fear um, it does have, you know, the ability to to stime this development, right? And so I, I just want to say that I think another practical application um, of this is to say, you know, um, how willing am I to not be seen as competent um, to get the learning that I need out of my courses or out of the digital world that I'm trying to explore? How much am I willing to um, sacrifice that competence to to actually have a little bit more balance in my intellectual empathy, if you will? Where I, 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 instead of being so focused on being seen as competent, you're willing to take on the posture of empathy and, and, and honestly, an intellectual empathy to be saying, to say to someone, I don't know, or, um, I, I'm actually very interested and I see this as a strength in you. Would you be willing to share your expertise with me? Um, I think that that is another very applicable right. way. Of developing intellectual humility. So don't, uh, number two, we don't be afraid 
to be seen as empathic or intellectually empathic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I think th- this next, um, this next one, uh, this next uh, recommendation on applications is spe- is gonna, I'm gonna put this forward specifically for the faculty member who might be listening. <clears throat> um, something that I heard from some of my interviews that I just loved is this idea of small wins. Um, th- you know, creating small wins for your students can be so empowering. Um, and this is kind of a term that's in business, really, um, the idea that you can create small wins for a customer or for an organization. But it's not been really translated to um, the education space. And I'm, and I'm really excited about trying to make this something here that strat- to encourage strat- to have strategies for students to change can be encouraging them to do things that are high reward but low risk. And so an example of that that I heard is having students email people in careers they're interested in and ask them about their day-to-day work life. And, and obviously now in times of COVID and everything being, most things being virtual, this can be actually even more helpful that you can virtually speak to someone that you really are interested in their career um, and what it's like day-to-day. And so that balance of high reward, low risk and, and kind of as students become more comfortable in that small win, that that balance in that equation could go even could 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 go even into the sense of high reward, medium risk, you know, and, and to and to basically up that level of risk taking as it relates to owning what you owning your limitation and, and saying, I, I don't know, actually. Yeah, I like it. So as we bring this uh train to a stop here. So we would say, if you want to exercise your intellectual humility or intellectually Mm -hmm. humble muscle Mm -hmm. in the digital world, Mm -hmm. one, seek out all aspects of learning. Don't be tied to one track, for example, the grade. Number two, don't be afraid to be Mm -hmm. seen as intellectually empathic. In other words, Mm -hmm. uh, don't be afraid of not as not being seen as smart or confident. And finally, seek out small wins for mm-hmm. changes in perspective, because when yep. you can own the need for a change in perspective, uh, you can then learn from that. So I think those are three really good um, practical tips. Johan, thank you. for. I think we figured it all here. out. I, I think we got it. I think there's nothing left to there's know. There's nothing left. I think I know there is. I know everything <laughs> there is to know about being humble. So we could do this all day. We could. We could. <laughs> No, we're, we're, uh, we're lucky to have you at William and Mary. Yeah. Good luck as you wrap up uh, yeah, your work. Thank you. uh, Jacob, thanks for, for uh, giving us your perspective as a student. And uh, to the thousands upon thousands in our listening audience, we will see you back here on Digital Fluency in about a week. Thanks.